Hello, my name is Dwayne Spearman. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries. This is a teaching ministry that is called to rightly divide the Word of God for the people of God. And today we still find ourselves in the book of Ephesians. Feels like we have been here forever. Um, but uh, we are breaking into chapter number two today. Uh, last time we were together, uh, we wrapped up Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter number one. Um, and of course, in Ephesians chapter number one, the apostle Paul was giving a thanksgiving and prayer. He ceased not to give thanks for them, making mention of them in the, in in his prayers. Um, and his prayer was that God would give unto them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that they would know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. So which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at, the, at his right hand in heavenly places, uh, which is far above all principality and power and might and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the one that's to come. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is the bride of Christ. No, <laughs> which is his body, the body of Christ, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And then we come into uh, chapter number two. And you hath, who were dead in trespasses and sins, notice that, Hath he quickened there is in italics. King James translators put that there for better understanding. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses in sin. That word quicken means to be made alive. Just as he was made alive, so too have we been made alive. And again, that hath he quickened there is italicized, which it would literally say, and you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, and he's going to use that word quickened when he gets down into um, some, of the, some of the next verses. So it wasn't totally necessary, but it does add a little bit of clarification there. Um, because where, where does he use the word quickened? Uh, he's raised us up together. There it is. And you hath he quickened. So he's going to say that down in verse number five, which of course is referring to you who were dead in your trespasses and sins. In verse number five, hath he quickened. So anyway, it's just for clarification. It adds some clarity uh, to the verse. He is reminding them of who they once were. You know, he's reminding them of who they once were. And you hath he quickened, past tense, who were dead in your trespasses and sins. So he's reminding them of who they once were in other passages. Paul, you know, told them that they were blind uh, before Christ. We were blind in Second uh, Corinthians chapter number uh, 4, uh, verse number 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. So why doesn't everybody believe? Because the God of this world, the devil himself, has blinded them, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. 
So why do they not believe? Because their minds have been blinded by the devil. And that's the way we once were. Um, and then also, he's said in other verses that those who have not come to Christ, they're slaves to sin. In Romans chapter 6, verse number 17, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you, being then made free from sin. Now you are servants of righteousness. So before Christ, B.C., uh, we were blind, we were slaves of sin. And then we're going to see here in Ephesians chapter number 2 that we were aliens before Christ, uh, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. And, um, of course, we'll get into this verse a little bit. That was before grace. That was before the postponement. That was before the gospel of grace when Christ, when God dealt exclusively with the nation of Israel. And um, back then we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We had nothing to do with them. We were not involved. We had no hope. We were without God, but now in Christ. Ye who were once so far off have been made how? You've been made, made nigh by the blood of Christ. So before Christ, we were blind. We were slaves of sin. We were aliens. We were children of wrath. Uh, we're going to see here in verse number three, among whom also ye had your conversation in time past in the lust of your flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. I mean, God was angry with us uh, before Christ. And then also in Colossians chapter 1, verse number 13, it says that we were under the power of darkness. Because he says here in verse in Colossians 1, 13, who hath delivered us, past tense, from the power of darkness. And we've been translated into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. So that's why we were. Before Christ, B.C., um, we were blind, we were slaves, we were aliens, we were children of wrath, we were under the power of darkness. Nothing good, nothing good. Uh, so he says, and you hath he quickened. And bear in mind, he's writing to an Ephesian audience. He's writing to a group of people there in Ephesians, grace believers in Ephesians. But the applications to us, remember that Romans through Philemon, Philemon are the epistles of Paul, and in those epistles, he is addressing the body of Christ. And we've talked about that before, um, if you've been following me for any length of time, um, or maybe that's why you don't follow me anymore, <laughs> because we've talked about uh, that before. Um, and I've pointed out these graphs, and someone told me the other day that my graphs they're great, but you can't see the mouse. So I figured it out. I figured out how to, you can see the mouse when I'm talking on my graphs. Um, but you can see here, I mean, this is what should have happened. You know, I mean, you had everything got to do with the nation of Israel, the, the prophesied coming kingdom, 
Jesus during his earthly ministry. What were the first words out of the mouth of John the Baptist? Repent for the kingdom of God is what? At hand. In other words, it's not here, but it's getting ready to be offered to you. Uh, Jesus, same thing, kingdom of God is at hand. You remember they were coming up the hill, they were coming into Jerusalem, and the apostles said "Will they were expecting at any moment for the kingdom to appear. Why were they looking for a kingdom? Because that's what the king kept telling them was coming. A kingdom was coming. He was going to bring a king, a, a, a kingdom. He was going to be the king. He was going to make things right. He was going to fulfill the Davidic and the Abrahamic covenants. I mean, they were looking at that. You remember James and John's mother, you know, she came in and said, when you come into your kingdom, can my boys sit on your right and your left? Why was she thinking so much about the kingdom? Because the kingdom, he kept telling them, it's at hand. And then Christ was crucified. He went up into the heavens, sat at the right hand of the Father. And then what happened? Uh, Peter stands up at Pentecost. And what does he say? The kingdom of heaven is being offered. That was the offer of the kingdom. But Christ had to die first in order to, to forgive the, the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant so that he could establish the new Christ had to have died. If Christ hadn't died, if they hadn't crucified him, he wouldn't be able to offer them the new covenant. So Peter offers it to the nation. Stephen offers it to the nation, and, and it's rejected. But what if it had been accepted? Well, this is what would have happened. Had it been accepted, they would have rolled right into Daniel's 70th week. That would have culminated, or in the middle of that, the Antichrist would have come. And at the end of that, Christ would have returned, and he would have set up his thousand-year millennial reign. He had been setting up that kingdom that they were looking for. But instead of that happening, this happened. They rejected the teaching of Peter. They stoned Stephen. And Israel began to fall. It began to diminish. And God raised up the apostle Paul and said, you're going to do what the nation refused to do. And we are living in the mystery now. We are living in what's called the postponement now. We're living in this period that will end with the rapture. The church has to be raptured, taken out of the way, so that God can start dealing with the nation again. The tribulation period is all about the nation of Israel. It's Daniel's 70th week, as prophesied by Daniel in Daniel chapter number 9. So understand, this is what should have happened had the nation accepted uh, the kingdom offer, but this is what did happen. And now we are in the mystery, the gospel of grace, the gospel of the uncircumcision, uh, the grace gospel. This is not the same gospel that the twelve preached. It's not the same gospel that will be preached during the seven-year millennial, uh, the seven-year tribulation period. So again, I mean, people just misunderstand that. Um, so let me get back to my to my text here. All right. Um, and then notice, and you hath he quickened who were dead in your trespasses and sins, 
Um, trespasses. Notice that word, those two words, trespasses and sins. What are those? Well, they're obviously not the same thing. They're different. A trespass speaks of a willful, defiant act of disobedience. It is knew better, but did it anyway. That is what a trespass is. It's just like if you see a no trespassing sign on someone's land and you do it anyway, guess what? You're going to get arrested. Why? You saw the sign. You ignored the sign. That's a trespass. Those are much more grievous than, quote, a sin. A sin speaks simply of a failure to live up to a standard. It's an archery term. It means you tried to hit the bullseye, but you fell short. You missed. You sinned. Um, So he says there, And you hath he quickened, brought back to life, who were dead. We were dead before Christ in our trespasses and our sins. And then notice in verse number two, wherein in time past you walked. What? We walked in trespasses and sins according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. And the spirit that now worketh. This is a bad spirit that worketh in the children of disobedience. So the emphasis is that dead people walk according to the course of this world. They're just stumbling around. You don't believe in zombies? You see them every day. They are spiritually dead. They are walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince, the power of the air. And his point is that people who have been made alive, we don't do this anymore. We don't walk in this anymore. In Colossians 2.13, And you being dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, Christ, having forgiven you all your trespasses. Blotting out all that willful defiance of God has been forgiven. He has blotted out the handwritten, the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. You see, we don't walk in that any longer. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, wherein ye stand, by which ye are saved. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain, how that I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how Christ died for our sins. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. The Bible tells me so. And he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. You see, we've been made alive by his death. We have been forgiven of our trespasses and our sins. It was nailed to the cross is what he is saying. And then in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he said, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, are you in Christ? If you placed your faith in Christ, if you believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection, that means you are in Christ. You are a new creature. 
Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know, it's interesting. The Bible says, man, we are all men. You know, we live in a crazy world. I mean, just a political world, politically correct world where, you know, it's no longer a policeman, a fireman. You know, it's a police person or a police woman. We're men, folks. We are the race of men, humans. We are men. It is correct to say policeman. It is correct to say fireman. That's what we are. We are men. We are the race of men. We walk upright on two feet. We don't drag our knuckles. Uh, we are the race of men. Anything beyond that is just political correctness gone amok. But we are in Christ now. We are a new creature. The old's passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So he says there, where in time past you did walk according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Who are the children of disobedience? It's the lost. It's the ones who refuse to place their faith in the death, the burial, and the resurrection. It's the ones who are living contrary. It is the ones who have rejected. It is the ones who have not come to the light. They're lost. The Greek indicates that these have no faith. They're lost. And, of course, we live in a world of disobedience, of disobedient children. You know, and we're all not the children of God. You're either the child of God or you're the child of your father, the devil, one or the other. Um, and then notice he says in verse number three, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past. Among whom? Who's whom? All these children of disobedience. Among whom we all had our conversation time past. We were all children of disobedience in time past. In the lust of our flesh, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our rotten, stinking flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as these were, even as the others. So he's saying that all of us in time past lived according to the lust of the flesh. Uh, John speaks about that in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not of the Father, it's of the world. And the world's going to pass away, guys, and the, all the lust with it. But he that doeth the will of God will abide forever. So we all walked according to the lust of the flesh. Um, I used to hear this, for all this in the world, the lust of the flesh, that's passions, the lust of the eyes, uh, that is possessions, and the pride of life is position. We all walked in passion, possession, and position at one time. That's what it was all about. Even go back to the Garden of Eden, the way the devil tempted Eve. How did he tempt her? She saw that it was, um, what, what does it say? We can go back and take a look at it. I'm not in a hurry. Um, uh, the temptation, uh, the creation of man. Let's see, the temptation in the garden, the fall. There it is. And the woman saw 
that it that it was good for food, what would that be? That'd be the lust of the flesh. It was pleasant to the eyes. That would be the lust of the eyes. And desired to make one wise. That's position. Because she wanted to be like God, having her eyes open, knowing good and evil. The devil hadn't changed. He, he behaves the same way. He tempts us the same way that he, that he tempted Eve in the garden. So let's get back here. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, that was free. That was a little detail detour there. So he's saying that in time past, we all lived according to the lust of the flesh. We all fulfilled the desires of the flesh. We were just as much children of wrath as they were, they being these children of disobedience before God. We were all the same. And, you know, you can, all these verses talk about who we were before Christ. Uh, men in general. Um, it has been said that while dead men might feel comfortable in a coffin, a live man does not. That's not who we are anymore. We don't walk in darkness anymore. We don't walk trying to fulfill the lust of the flesh, passions, position, possession. Those things, we're dead to those things now. Uh, when we were spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins, it was all that we knew. But now that we've been, been made alive, we're no longer comfortable in that. And you know that. I know that. You know, you can do things. Um, you can't do things now that you used to do then. Things that you did then, you don't feel comfortable doing now. Why? You're the children of the day. You're no longer walking. You're no longer comfortable walking in darkness. He's going to say over in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 8, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. And then at verse 11, he says, he's going to say, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, expose them, bring them to the light. So that's who we used to be, but we're not anymore. That's what the Bible calls the old man. And then notice, I'll just look at verses four and five. But God, you know what? But God has to be one of the great, two of the greatest words in all of the Bible. But God, but God, he fixed it. Who was rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in our sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, for by grace are ye saved. But God, he loved us anyway, in spite of ourselves. I've said it many times, God does not love me because of who I am, but in spite of who I am. I've also said, God does not love me because of who I am, but because of who he is. And then we also see here, it reveals God's motivation for doing all this, but God who's rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Why did God do it? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. Romans 5, 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us anyway. There's nothing you and I can do to make God love us. God loved us when we were at our most unlovable. 
because God is love. And notice it says that he hath quickened us together with Christ. Again, that means we've been made alive. It's the same phrase that they inserted in verse number one uh, when he said, and you hath he quickened, we've been brought back to life. Paul, again, seems to be pointing out the power of God as evidenced in the resurrection and his exaltation to the right hand of God the Father that he just mentioned in the previous chapter. So he has quickened us together with Christ. Just as he has been raised and elevated, so too we have been raised and are going to be elevated. And he says, notice that he mentions both mercy and grace in this verse. Now, why does he separate the two? Because they're not the same thing. Mercy and grace are two different things. Um, mercy uh, is not getting what you deserve, while grace is getting what you don't deserve. That's the difference between mercy and grace. And then notice at the end, there's a parenthetical statement there at the end of verse number five. Even when you were dead in your sins, he's made you alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. That phrase is a parenthetical statement. It's almost like a second thought that Paul put in there just for clarifications. In other words, Paul wants them to understand that their salvation was completely unmerited and was not the result of anything that they had done. And our salvation, beloved, is unmerited. It is not because of anything that we have done. It is simply because of his great love wherewith he loved us. He loved us not because of who we are or who we were, but because of who he is, his great love. There's nothing that you can do. You can't clean yourself up. You can't turn yourself. You can't turn another leaf or turn over another leaf. There's nothing you can do, beloved, to make God love you more. We've been saved by grace, God's unmerited favor. I've heard that as an acronym, GRACE, God's Righteousness at Christ's Expense, G-R-A-C-E. There's nothing that we did to deserve it. It's what Christ did. He gave that to us. So we'll go ahead and wrap up there in uh, verse number five. And next time we'll get into verse number six, and we're going to find out that he has raised us up together. And he's made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ and we're going to talk a little bit about there's a difference between in Christ, which is what we are today, and with Christ. <laughs> uh, we're in Christ, but one day we're going to be with Christ. We'll talk about that. God bless you guys. Hope you have a great day. Remember that God does indeed love you and he wants the best for you.